Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. It's like I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. In it. That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go <laughs> into the Marvel Wikipedia and whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another insectorific episode of Comics, motherfucker. Do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I am going to be one of your tiny, minuscule hosts this evening, and I am joined tonight by three, count them, three of my fellow fan holes from the microverse how about everybody give a shout out and let everyone know who's here tonight hey it's mike the irredeemable thunderwing hey this is justin hello chap this is tony and jorn i just want you to know we're gonna have a jorn good time <laughs> i, I kind of want someone to plan a sexy sleepwalker babe in my head <laughs> <laughs> i kind of want that actually it's like, I want that. <laughs> Just saying. I kind of want it. Ant-Man and the Wasp teaming up. So, yeah, we're, we're actually here to discuss some, some really cool Ant-Man and the Wasp comic books that Mike suggested we bring to the show. And we are doing this in celebration of the July 6th release of the feature film Ant-Man and the Wasp. And I guess what we're going to be discussing is there was an Ant-Man and Wasp miniseries that was released in 2010. I guess the cover dates were in 2011, but strictly speaking, it was it was released in 2010 at the tail end. And that's a three issue miniseries. And then in the second half, we're actually going to talk about a one shot released uh, again. Same deal. Tail end of 2011. Um, but the cover date is 2012. And that is the Avengers Origins Ant-Man and Wasp one-shot in the second half. So then I guess what we're going to do is I'm going to turn it over to Mike, who prepared some synopses for Ant-Man and the Wasp. And like I said, we'll discuss that in the first half. And so I'm turning it over to Mike. Mike, why don't you give us the lowdown on the three-issue Ant-Man and the Wasp miniseries? Well, as you said, it was released yeah, in 2010, and it was a three-issue miniseries. Uh, the trade is titled Small World, so I guess that's the uh, title of the story as a whole. Uh, it's written and penciled by Tim Seeley, with inks by uh, Victor Olazaba and colors by Val Staples. And uh, just before I start, I'll do I'll do a summary of each issue, and we'll you know talk about them issue by issue. But uh, before we start, like. I did, like, was this the first time all of you guys read this, or? 
This this was my first time for sure. Nope, not me. You had it before. Uh, affirmative. I have not seen this before. Cool. So me and Justin are cool, and you guys drool. Yeah, you guys are chumps. Like I I bought this off the off the uh, like issue by issue. I stole it off the internet issue by <laughs> issue. <laughs> okay, we're all chumps except for Justin. Except for Justin. Yep. Okay. Well, anyway, yes. So, issue number one. Hank Pym, the Wasp, records an announcement of the opening for an outreach center for abused women he has sponsored in Janet Van Dyne's name. Meanwhile, Eric O'Grady, the irredeemable Ant-Man, sees another one-night standoff with customary style, having her climb down the fire escape. His elderly buddy, the master jewel thief, the Black Fox, arrives, with some info about the criminal organization AIM that Eric can use to get in good with his new Avengers buddies. Eric is already scheduled to meet with Hank Pym for some maintenance on his Ant-Man suit later in the day, but before he leaves, his would-be girlfriend Abigail shows up to his apartment. Noting a discarded bra on his bed, Abigail tells him that while he's improving as a superhero, he's still a lousy human being. At Hank Pym's lab within an Avengers and Infinite Mansion, Hank and Reed Richards are in the middle of solving a temporal problem, some minor business about an encroaching alternate timeline that is threatening to overwrite their own, when O'Grady shows up for his appointment. Eric is about to pass on the AIM intel he received from Black Fox, but Pym has little time for him at the moment. Hank has Tigra usher Ant-Man out of the room while he and Reed continue to work at preventing the House of Charnel from taking over their reality. Waiting for Pym, Eric fails and tries miserably at hitting on Tigra, then notices Avengers Academy students Vale, Finesse, and Stryker walking by and offers them some alcohol. Before very long, Eric has imbibed all the alcohol himself and passed out on a couch as Vale and Finesse marvel at what a loser he is. They go, but not before giving him the old shaving cream mustache. As Hank and Reed Richards wrap up their temporal issue, a security alert sounds off in the facility. Hank sees that an intruder is powering her way through the defenses and breaks into his lab, warping some metal and sealing him in an orb. Tigra, Metal, and Reptile arrive shortly to see a floating green woman who promptly warps a hole in the floor and escapes. Meanwhile, Stryker suspects that Ant-Man might be involved in this attack and goes to find him. Just as he reaches the room where Eric O'Grady is passed out in, Stryker sees the Green Lady warp in and then phase into Ant-Man's head. Eric wakes up pissed off and thinking the Academy kids drugged him, but before he and Stryker can come to blows, Tigra arrives and tells Eric that Hank is ready to see him now. In Hank's lab, Metal frees him from the orb he was trapped in, and Pym has identified the attacker as a sleepwalker, a being capable of traveling through other beings' dreams. He's also deduced that, wittingly or not, Ant-Man was used to help facilitate the sleepwalker's theft of something from Pym's lab. At an AIM safe house in the Netherlands, the sleepwalker, known as Anesthesia, arrives using her comatose father's mind as a portal. She delivers the device she stole to AIM agents. In Florida, the Black Fox relaxes at a resort and receives a call from AIM head honcho Monica Rapacini, who thanks her for his help and says it has earned him a place in heaven. That is, a heaven that AIM now possesses the means to control and own thanks to the device stolen from Hank Pym's lab. 
Back at the Infinite Mansion, Ant-Man proclaims his innocence to Pym, and is forced to admit that he got his intel on AIM from the Black Fox. Pym deduces that Black Fox set Eric up and primed his mind to act as a portal for anesthesia to infiltrate the mansion. He reveals that she stole something that Hank and the late Bill Foster created, an invention called the Eye Heaven Halo, a gateway to a digital realm where mind patterns can live on even after death. Hank had uploaded Bill Foster's digital consciousness, recorded before he died in the superhero Civil War into the Halo, granting him a sort of afterlife paradise. If AIM disassembles the device, they will likely destroy that paradise and Bill's digital consciousness along with it. Pym plans on entering the Mindscape and tracking the theft straight back to AIM's base of operations. Wanting to make up for his latest mistake, Eric O'Grady volunteers to come with Hank. After a moment's hesitation, Pym decides that this is indeed a job for Ant-Man and the Wasp. So yeah, that's the end of issue one. That, it was, uh, that was kind of a fun like uh, starter. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I, I wasn't really familiar with Hank. In the, I really am not familiar with the Initiative uh, saga, I guess you would say. Um, I, I, was, I was aware that he had taken up the mantle of the Wasp which still sometimes kind of seems creepy to me, just saying. Like, I really hadn't read anything with Eric O'Grady. I know he had the Irredeemable Ant-Man uh, series, miniseries, where, uh, you know, he's basically kind of a scumbag. But this was kind of a cool, like, introduction. Like, I, I, I felt like I didn't have to do any, like, really any uh, delving to figure out what was going on. It was pretty straightforward. So that, that was kind of cool. I can see why you you like this miniseries, Mike, because it doesn't seem to be ashamed of the previous continuity. Like they they seem to touch on all that pretty well. I mean, you've got Eric O'Grady still chatting with the Fox, and you know you, you've got that aspect of his continuity going on. And for me, this this was kind of like a nice surprise, kind of like when when Justin had us read. Um, I think. Or no, was it Justin? I don't remember. But but uh, it, when when we read that Avengers annual, and then there were the bits with Silver Surfer fighting Korvac in the annual. I think oh, that, that was, that you, was Mike. me. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So so like 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 that was kind of like a nice sort of oh, this is kind of like a Silver Surfer story that was undiscovered, you know, t- to me at that point. So I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. And this this was kind of like oh, there's like. Avengers Academy stuff, like the kids at every, like, I guess I didn't expect to encounter the kids when we were reading this, but this is set like right around that time frame when, you know, the secret Avengers is starting up and Eric O'Grady is part of that. And Avengers Academy is starting up. And of course, Hank Pym is, is a essential part of that, you know, being the headmaster at everything. So I was like, Oh, this is you know, it, it, to me, I was, I was kind of like super elated to, see the kids again one more time, you know, since they don't have an ongoing book anymore. It's kind of sad, but like, I was, I was like, Oh, this is cool. Like I get to see the Avengers Academy kids again. And then, uh, I've made no secret. Like I am in love with the sexy, evil sleepwalker lady, agent anesthesia. Like she's, she, I was like, I was like, you're a sleepwalker for real. So I'm all dude, you're hot. Like, how did you, I'm like, you, like that in his book, he would have sold more copies. <laughs> I know. I was like, I was like, I was like, are you, are you sure you're a sleepwalker? You're too cute to be a sleepwalker. Like, but I was like, but I was like, yeah, she was, she was pretty cool. So like, I, I dug that. 
I, I thought it was cool to see um, Reed and, and Hank working on that temporal problem. But then in the back of my head, I was thinking, like, it, it's funny how they they seem to work together. And it's one of those, like, major things that they sort of solve, quote unquote, off panel pretty much. But then at the same time, I, I did have flashes to, like, all the incursions in New Avengers where everything was, like, <laughs> super, super serious sores. And, like, this was more of a kind of... Uh, it's not that it wasn't serious, but you just got the idea that they they somehow put their brains together and managed to avoid that overtaking of a temporal dimension without any you presume without any moral consequence. You know, like whereas whereas I think all the incursion stuff in the New Avengers, it was always this dramatic thing of like, oh, to save our universe, we have to like poop all over the other universes and explode them and kill everybody. And we have to feel guilty about it and, you know, play the violins and all that stuff. But in this case, it was kind of like more of a, you know, just, oh, we, we fixed it, you know, like, like we, we, we have big brains and we used our big brains to totally like, you know, drum up an equation that totally like made, this other universe not take over our universe is the other universe dead i don't know i don't care but we solved it you know like we're, we're awesome so i was like it was kind of interesting to see stuff like that as well yeah I, I was really happy to see the fox the the fox was one of those characters who uh started appearing in like web of spider-man and um his whole thing is like for anybody who's not familiar with him is he, he's a cat burglar he's a really good cat burglar but he has this ability. It's not superhero. It's just he's got the the gift of gab or whatever you want to say. Like if he ever gets caught, especially by superheroes for some reason, or you know, anti superheroes, um, he could talk his way out of almost anything, and and he'll play up him being old and or like you know it's like oh you wouldn't want to take an old man to jail would you and all this stuff. And um, I always liked him and, and the, the various times he showed up in Spider-Man. So that, that was kind of a cool little like bonus. I was like, oh, shit, it's the Fox. How's he here? Yeah, he was yeah. he was a part of yeah Eric O'Grady's book. Yeah. So like it was nice to see him again, like when Kirkman was writing that irredeemable Ant-Man series. Yeah. But... You know, I, I think I was like late to the party with the character of Eric O'Grady because I wasn't reading a lot of Marvel comics at the time when that series came out. And you know, part of it was I was like, we've got two ant people already. We don't need a third. And then you know, somebody was trying to get me to read it at the comic shop, and they were like, well, it's more of a comedy kind of. And I was just like, yeah. Like I, I just like – everything I heard about it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, we don't need a third Ant-Man. I'm not in the mood for like a wacky take on Ant-Man. And then a few years later, I sat down and read it because I was curious, and I was like, well, this is great. Like, I'm, I'm stupid. Like, I should have read this, like, years ago when this guy was trying to get me to buy these comics. But I did kind of, like, come to love the character. And one of the things I like about this issue is, like, Eric still has that, like, you know – personality like the first time we see him in this he's like oh my god we're under attack and he goes through this whole thing just to get this chick to like leave his apartment i was like oh man that's great <laughs> and then the other the other aspect i like about this this miniseries is the whole like buddy team up where they both have like vastly different personalities like i i, I like that kind of thing and i like it in comic books because 
Hank and Eric couldn't be more different. And I, it, it kind of reminded me of uh, Tiger and Bunny a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I could see that totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys know, like, I love Hank Pym, and like, I like, like, I like, I really like this era of Hank Pym, and like, yeah, the the whole the whole like Mighty Avengers slash you know Academy Headmaster era, like that was a good time for him. You yeah. know, this aside from like the awful Bentus book, like this was actually a pretty good Avengers era because you know, like you said, you had Avengers Academy. You had the Dan Slot Mighty Avengers, which was a really good run. And then you had, like, the Secret Avengers, which I really liked and sadly kind of ruined Eric, in my opinion, at the same time towards the end of that run. But whatever. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, like, th- this was actually, like, a pretty good era for Avengers because you had so many, like, books, almost too many books. It's like they took they took McFarlane's advice. They're like, we need more books. And then they were like, oh, you want more Avengers books? You're going to get more Avengers books. More than you can keep track of. And I'm just like, holy cow, there's so many Avengers books. I don't even know. It, this was basically like during like what they, the, the very short time they called like the heroic age or whatever, isn't it? Uh, well, this took place after what? Secret Invasion, right? Because Wasp, I mean, Wasp yeah. had just died, right? This, so this was very close to the beginning of like heroic age, yeah. Because that, like, okay. that, yeah, that this, like, that's when Secret Avengers started. You know, that's when Avengers Academy started, and you know, that's this is pretty much at the tail end of a uh, mighty Avengers ending. So, okay, yeah, I, I just remember like, uh, it was just to, to what Justin was saying. Like, I, I remember a lot of people like that era because even though it was really short a lot of people were saying like the the, the good guys were acting like good guys for a change <laughs> yeah there were there were just a lot of elements in play that i really liked here and uh derek i don't know if you noticed but like that alternate like timeline that like reed and uh, uh hank are like trying to like stop from like you know taking over theirs is like the death's head 2 timeline like oh, oh okay. yeah ne- the, like, the, all the, i know is like he said the necromancer baron von strucker yeah or... the charnel like who, who like you know became, was part of that like our first arc of like death's head 2 or whatever yeah like, yeah yeah no 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 uh, i get yeah. yeah i didn't i didn't think of it but yeah that's cool yeah, so I was like, oh, cool, like, you know, but, like, it's, like, I, I don't think I've read a whole lot of what Tim Seeley has written, but, like, it seems like he knows his stuff, so, like, he, a lot of, like, you know, not not just current continuity, but it's, like, you know, very obscure stuff, too. Like, even, even like, you know, even though, like, the Black Fox is kind of, like, an immigrant from, like, the Irredeemable Ant-Man, as well as, like, old Spider-Man comics, like, it's, you know, it's cool to see, you know, him continuing on, like. Yeah. Oh, and, and, uh, just a random, like, you know, shout-out for, uh, Tigra showing up. She didn't do much, but it's Tigra. It's always good to see her. <laughs> yeah. You, um, you know what else, uh, Seeley wrote? And I don't know how Derek will react to this, but he wrote Grayson, Agent of Spiral. Uh, <laughs> they can't all be winners. He no. uh, he did have like a pretty good uh, 30-some issue run on Nightwing, which I actually thought was pretty good. I mean, Grayson, I mean, I know we joke about Grayson, but like I went back and read it, and it's Grayson's okay. It's just like not my cup of tea, but, but yeah, he's, he's wrote some stuff that I like. In addition to this miniseries, of course. Uh, like, I'll say a couple things. Like, 
I I would really like a Marvel Legends of this version of Hank Pym, like the Wasp yeah. costume. Like like yeah. I like yeah. I, I agree with Tony that like it is sometimes when you think about it, it's like he's the Wasp. Like it's kind of weird, but like I just the costume looks awesome. I think like it's a yeah. great design. I, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like this is an extension of no costume Doctor Pym from West Coast Avengers only. He has a costume, like if that makes any sense, like yeah. because he's no, he's yeah. he, he he's doing the whole scientist supreme thing, and he's got like all those portals and doorways, and like he, you know he 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 seems like he's sort of on top of things in in this incarnation, which which I do definitely like. I mean, and and it was it was it was kind of disheartening because by the by the end of this, I guess kind of jumping ahead just a little bit, he he is in his uh, I guess heroic age giant man costume and i was just thinking to myself oh we have a figure of that but we don't have a figure of of you know hank pym as a wasp and it seems like it's one of those things where it's like sometimes it's like you know it's the stuff we always kvetch about like that sometimes they go by so fast it's like you you miss whole periods of of a certain look for a character and it always seems like once you once you pass the the new hotness, so to speak, quote unquote, it's like it's it's like they don't often go back to. Yeah. It's like it's like now now that we've gotten a few Hank Pym's further down the road from this version of him, it's it, they're not likely to go back to this version. It's it's not like you can assemble you know the the mighty Avengers from Dan Slott's run. You know you're you're more than likely going to be building these. You know, Mark Wade. You know, all new, all different Avengers. Then, well, yeah, especially with uh, team. especially with MCU uh, having Scott Lang being Ant Man and not him. So, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm on the flip side. Like, I was always kind of disappointed that they switched Eric O'Grady back to like the classic Ant Man costume because I liked like his original like irredeemable Ant Man costume. That's that's what it had like the like the bug eyes, right? Like yeah, the, like kinda, it, yeah. it had more of a like Spider Man esque mask, I guess. Like if I'm just trying yeah. to describe it, yeah. Like I I don't know. Like I liked that costume better. Like not that I dislike the the classic Ant Man costume, but I kind of associate it more with like you know. Hank Pym or Scott Lang, so. Yeah, I, well, I mean, you know, like they said, I guess they, they're going with, since he stole it, it's like one of the originals, I guess. I don't know. But yeah. did he feel like, is he did one one he stole, or was it one that, like... No, the, the one he stole was, like, that original one that <laughs> looked like, you know, like I said, the Spider-Man-looking one, but... This this huh. one I think I think it was like Justin maybe you remember but didn't like Ed Brubaker like insist that like he wear his classic Ant Man costume when he like picked him for like Secret Avengers or so I remember reading some interview about that yeah I I think that's right like he was like I'll huh. have Ant Man on the team but only if he gets to use his classic helmet or something like okay. Yeah, so <laughs> if you insist. Yeah, I like, do know. Oh, I do man. know one Marvel legend that Derek wants. So anesthesia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, well, you you got to get past like regular Sleepwalker first, like before you get her. I guess. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't. You can't get anesthesia without Sleepwalker. Yeah, I hey, I would buy both. I, I actually, I never had a I never had a problem with the original Sleepwalker. He was silly, but you know. I uh, I like that scene where. Uh, 
Eric is trying to pick up like Vale and Finesse, and then the next immediate scene, you're like, uh oh, like what's gonna happen? The next immediate scene, like he's passed out already, and he like failed. <laughs> I'm just like, oh. yeah, he's he's <laughs> he he's not too good at what he does sometimes, even when yeah. he's normally kind of good at it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny because like you know, like you said, Justin, he's such a scumbag, and he's like, ooh, schoolgirls. Like, yeah. Like, like, <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. Well, well, anything else about this issue, or should I go on to issue two? I, I'm good. That was a, that was a good starting point. It was it was a fun first issue. All right then, like issue two. Ant Man and Wasp enter the mindscape, and after experiencing a flash of his own memories, Eric O'Grady takes in the surreal atmosphere. Both he and Hank are covered in a shell of their own visible subconscious thoughts. While Eric's are a constant swirl of naked women, Hank's are a reflection of his guilt over everything he's responsible for regarding his ex-wife Janet. Pym adjusts it so the thought shells are cloaked and the two venture further into the mindscape. Meanwhile, Monica Rapacini sends out a live cast of the new technology AIM is offering to the highest bidder, Technological Life After Death. In the Mindscape, Ant-Man and Wasp fend off waves of dream creatures as Hank attempts to pick up their trail to aim. Ant-Man asks him why he created an artificial heaven when he can't be sure there isn't a real one, but Hank, ever the pragmatist, says he trusts in science above all else. Ant-Man presses on, bringing up that Hank regularly works with gods like Thor and Hercules, but Hank is simply convinced there is a scientific explanation for all of them. The two reach the end of their trail, finding a portal to a living mind and enter it. They exit through Anesthesia's father's mind the same way she did, arriving in AIM's base. A bunch of AIM underlings enter the room, but Ant-Man threatens to harm the brain-dead old man unless they back down. Meanwhile, Monica Rapacini meets with Anesthesia to allay some of her doubts that AIM will wake her father up when they receive the alert that Ant-Man and Wasp have infiltrated their base. Anesthesia wants to go down to protect her father, but Monica tells her she's too valuable and sends more grunts after the two Avengers. Speaking of, Ant-Man and Wasp make short work of the cannon fodder and continue deeper into the base, defeating more AIM beekeepers as they go. Eric is becoming annoyed with Hank's constant passive-aggressive down-talk to him, and things reach a boiling point when they finally reach the main lab. Eric mentions Scott Lang being killed, which is enough for Hank to slug him in the gut. But Hank quickly buries his anger and tells Eric to guard the lab's door as he attempts to gather up Aim's messy attempts to dismantle his Eye Heaven halo. Monica Rapacini teleports into the room and surprises Ant-Man, injecting him with a toxin that will fatally interact with the Pym particles in his bloodstream. Eric manages to sur surprise her back by activating the cyber legs on the back of his costume, temporarily stunning her and allowing the Wasp to pack up the Eye Heaven Halo, create an escape route, and carry Ant-Man out of the lab. Anesthesia arrives, and the recovering Monica tells her to go after them. In a service shaft, Hank tells Eric that the toxin he was injected with is killing him, and he's going to try something. Hooking Eric's mind up to the Eye Heaven Halo, Hank wants Eric to find Bill Foster's consciousness in the Artificial Heaven and guide him to a digital safe room so he'll survive a potential collapse. This will allow Hank time to find a cure for the toxin while Eric accomplishes their goal. 
Before Hank puts Eric under, Eric tells him that he hopes Hank is wrong about heaven. Hank responds that if there's one thing he knows for sure, it's that he isn't always right. As Hank goes on his way, Eric awakens in the digital heaven and finds it already collapsing, as the digital avatar of Bill Foster attempts to hold the sky up in his superheroic identity as Goliath. In the real world, Hank exits the service shaft, but is quickly recaptured by Monica Rapacini, who traps him in an energy bubble. Rather than killing Pym, however, Monica wants to offer him membership in AIM. So yeah, issue two. Where do you guys come on the spectrum of the debate that they have? Because I know Justin brought up how you couldn't get two guys that are more different than one another. So you've got, like, Hank Pym, who's the scientist supreme, and he kind of flat out says, you know, oh, I don't believe in heaven or God or gods, even though I've worked with them. I, you know, in his head, he rationalizes Thor and everybody else as you know, powerful alien beings, and there's a scientific explanation for everything. And then, of course, Eric O'Grady, you know, he's O'Grady. He's an Irish Catholic. Like, he's been raised with, with God and guilt. And so, for from his perspective, he's like, not only does he think there is a heaven God, but he hopes there's one that's going to sort of, you know, provide him relief when he passes the mortal coil. So I'm just kind of curious, like, like... And and I guess I guess to to further elaborate on that question, like it, it's an interesting notion because I I sort of think of of like I I, I sometimes I, I forget what shows it's on, but it might be on like who's their who's who show or whatever. But sometimes Rob Kelly will mention stuff about whether or not he's a a believer or an atheist. He he always kind of makes the point, at least in the DC universe, he's like, well, you'd have to be a fool to be an atheist in the DC universe, you know, with like Spectre and Heaven and Hell, you know, you've got Etrigan, you've got all these like actual physical evidence of that there, there is a God basically in the DC universe. So you'd have to be foolish not to believe in it. But like, do you, I guess my, my second half of that question is not only where do you come to, like, do you sort of come from it from a Hank Pym perspective or an Eric O'Grady perspective? And then and I guess the second half of my, kind of question would be do you do you think it's foolish to think of of god as not real in the marvel universe like based on things that people have seen in the marvel universe um that's that that is you know <laughs> definitely one of those like million dollar questions um as far as my own beliefs um and i i really don't care if people give me crap about it um, I would, I've, I've long said I'm pretty much kind of agnostic. Um, I do believe that there is some sort of like larger force in our lives, but I don't know if it's, you know, a guy in the clouds or aliens or both or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I think it's just arrogant that, uh, man, decides you know we we're the highest form of life that we were made from you know this being that's just my opinion you know that's how i feel uh but at the same time i'm not one of those people who looks down on someone who does believe because sometimes belief is the only thing will get you through the day so that's the funny thing because even though eric believes in something that he can't see even though Hank Pym can see science, he still has that belief in it, you know? 
So that's just their two different standpoints. And I think Hank doesn't come off like a jerk in this, and neither does Eric, which is a good way to have the the argument or the debate. Because, you know, Eric is just saying, you know, like, hey, you, you do interact with quote-unquote gods. You know, you like, yeah, I, how do you know there's not something out there? And Hank just says, I only believe what I can see. Neither one so sounds you, like an idiot. Yeah, no, neither one sounds like an idiot or like a, a or an antagonizer. Yeah, but do you think? I guess for the second half of the question, like, so in terms of Hank Pym, he might rationalize, you know, Mephisto as just some other alien entity or some being from another dimension that he can he can quantify with his god as he calls it science, right? But do you, but do you think there's there's a point to where you know, Eric O'Grady's like, come on, man, Mephisto. Like, of course there's a God. Like, you know, um, like, like that kind of thing. It, it, it would be really hard in the Marvel Universe to quantify some of the things you see. Because, okay, you see Iron Man. Okay, that's a guy in a robot suit. Men can build that. That's fine. You know, you see, uh, like, uh, trying to think of somebody who's even, like, mutants. Mutants are genetically different than humans, but they're basically humans who just have different DNA. So even if they can fly and stuff, it's like, no, I, I, I can wrap my head around that. And, and I'm just saying if I lived in the Marvel Universe. But man, you see something like Ghost Rider? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like... I mean, that, that, that literally is, you know, heaven and hell, demons and angels, you know, God and the devil, you know, like stuff like that where you're like, you... You, if 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 you've run into Ghost Rider, like you, you, I mean, I guess Hank Pym can be like, you know, well, I don't believe the science of the God and the Devil and Ghost Rider. They're actually just, you know, alien entities. I guess that's how he rationalizes it, or maybe he, you know, kind of buries his head in the sand and kind of goes la 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 la. I don't see you, Ghost Rider, <laughs> you know, or whatever. But yeah, like that that that's one of those things where it's like, are you kind of foolish if you don't? You know, if you don't believe in it or whatever, you know. Yeah, and from a scientific standpoint, a lot of what science is is trying to understand the unknown. And if you don't understand it, there's nothing wrong with being like, okay, Ghost Rider, he might be a demon. I don't know, because I don't understand that shit. How can someone have a flaming skull head and still walk around, you know? So that's something you can't figure out, yeah. The only other alternative, it's like I used to make the joke because, you know, and, and Justin will boo me or whatever. But, you know, especially when I, I was really hard on Thor in, in my, uh, you know, my what did I call them? My um, uh, my nihilistic 20s. I, I was not a fan of Thor. And so so I would constantly like yuck it up about Earth X because, you know, in Earth X, they really do play home the point that, you know, that Thor and, and, and the, you know, that you know, anybody who was ascribed to have, you know, god-like origins was just this kind of alien being, and I always yucked it up about, you know, oh, Thor's just a putty alien, like, he's not, like, a real god, he's just this putty alien, like, he is in Earth-X, but then if that's the case, that would definitely mean that, like, the the god and devil that appear in, say, Tomb of Dracula are also, you know, putty aliens or whatever, and you're just kind of like, well, that right. that kind of... That kind of makes that story, you know, ring untrue, I guess, in some ways. So, you know, you, you kind of have to either come to it one way or the other. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I would say like in, in the real world, the debate is very valid, but in the comics is like it would be really hard to see someone like, you know, fucking Damien Hellstrom, the son of Satan, and be like, no, that's normal. That's that's science. You know? <laughs> right, right. That's yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at, I guess. What what about you guys? What about Mike and Justin? Like you, you have any thoughts on that one way or the other? Anybody you, you tend to side with more or or thoughts on how that debate fits into the Marvel universe as a whole? I think it's 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 an inter obviously it's a very interesting like debate and one like, you know, people have had since like the beginning of time and whatever and I, I think like as as far as the characters go, I think it's handled very well. Like I like that Hank says like, you know, I it's enough like I know for me, like, you know, like this is what I know. Like I know what I I trust what I can see, I trust what I can prove. And that's enough for me, and I'm not gonna like you know, you know, preach that my way is like any. Then he says like, well, I'm not always right. Like you know, anything is possible, and I, like I, personally, like I, I subscribe to that. Like anything is possible, and like personally, like I think there is something like you know, I think there is a heaven or or at least some kind of afterlife because I don't believe humans can fathom absolute like nullification or like nothingness like i think there is something like inside us that lives on whether it's you know a soul or consciousness or brain waves or whatever but like i don't think we can we can prove what it is or like explore it but like it's just or it maybe it's just something we haven't been able to discover yet but you know any i i i pretty much go with anything as possible like i you know I guess that's kind of in between them or like you could apply that to either of their viewpoints, but uh, yeah, but like, I I think it was a well-written conversation in terms of like this comic. I guess in the DC universe, it would be really kind of naive, even stupid to, to look at the specter and deny existence of that kind of thing. Like that would be silly, but I mean, they, they, they didn't have an angel as a member of the Justice League. But there is no Zario or Spectre in Marvel, so I'm kind of going to go with, like, Hank's train of thought on this. And, you know, as far as, like, other characters you could point to, like Mephisto or Ghost Rider, like, I think you kind of could just be like, oh, well, they're just petty aliens, like Derek said. Or they're just some yeah. kind of – they're – cosmic entities of some level you know it's like Galact- so, Galactus. so it was it was wait 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 so I'm, I'm just gonna go back for for shits and giggles and humor so like cosmic jesus like saved johnny blaze and cosmic jesus like hooked up dracula at the end of tomb of dracula like that's that's kind of what's going on basically like putty alien jesus and dracula like sort of kind of i guess okay but I mean, see, like I, I could look at those things in the Marvel universe, and I could probably poo-poo them away. Right, right, in, in okay, some way. okay. But well, like, no, no, the, they, in, they, they literally do in Earth X. I mean, that's that, that's their explanation for almost all that stuff. Like all those, all those guys, Loki or or whatever you want to ascribe to to a a godlike entity. You know, they're they're pretty much putty aliens, except for I suppose the Celestials. You know, like so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, yeah, it, it's easy to go round and round on it, you know. It's just like, like I said, if I lived in the Marvel universe, if I was Tony living in the Marvel universe, 
and I saw Ghost Rider zoom by me, even though he's on a motorcycle, my beliefs in the real world wouldn't coincide with Marvel Universe because I would be like, the fuck was that? <laughs> my my question would be, what does a demon need with a motorcycle? Like, what does God need with a starship? <laughs> like, that's that's my question. Like, if, if he's uh, so powerful... It's faster, it's faster than a horse. <laughs> he's so powerful, why does he need a motorcycle? Because it looks cool. That's why. <laughs> but if he was uh, like a real demon, he wouldn't care about looking cool. I like... I like uh, Eric's response to like Pim's like viewpoint where he's like, man, like you're so, this is frustrating. Like, no wonder you don't have any action, uh, less action figures than the other. Avengers. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Going, going yeah. back to why there's no wasp Marvel legend. It's, yeah. Right. It's because of this debate. Yeah. But no, no, I mean, like it, it is, it is a worthwhile debate. And, um, I, I do agree with Mike. Um, it was handled to where, Again, the biggest thing when you do these kind of debates in a comic or any kind of uh, medium of entertainment is not have a bias and have both people come off as having reasonable doubt and, and you know, not only that, but uh, a good firm standing. So neither one seems like an idiot. Hank doesn't seem like, you know, he's a blind scientist who just thinks he knows everything. And Eric agreed he doesn't come off as just like this, you know, derp-a-der, I believe in everything. So, you know, like, Eric O'Grady challenges Pim. Pim tells him, like, you know, his his way of seeing life. But, but he doesn't talk down to Eric. And that that's, like, the best way to have those kind of conversations in a, in a comment between two characters when you're the outsider. Is, like, give, like, examples from each side. And like we're doing, make up your own mind. Yeah, I think I, I agree with Mike. I think the way they discuss it in in the second issue is is well done. You know, it's not. Uh, uh, yeah, they, there have been other examples, <clears throat> Civil War, where you know things are not. They they kind of end up getting lopsided or, or kind of lose their way. But I, I don't think this loses its way. It, it they 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 do what they intend to do. They they have the conversation about it, and then they kind of continue on it's it's interesting that that he feels the need to make that eye heaven for for bill foster did they ever did they ever do anything with this in terms of bill foster like did they use this as like you know the optimus prime floppy disk so that they could try to you know restore bill foster at some point later down the road or anything i don't think so i think I, like they they have bill foster's like nephew or whatever who right is right now right. but like yeah yeah, I, I don't think they did. Like, I know the Infinite Mansion was eventually destroyed, which kind of made me sad. Like, I thought that was a really cool idea, but yeah, I don't think they did anything else with this I Heaven thing. Huh. I, I do think it is funny, though. Like, uh, this this is me, you know, me and Derek. But I don't, I'm not including you, Derek, but I'm saying our, our, our old manness might be showing on my side on this. Um, I did pick up stuff on stuff like... Uh, the fact that uh, the head of uh, AIM is uh, doing a, a, a net cast for, for people to buy stuff, you know? It's oh, like, yeah, yeah, the, the, the AIM cast where she's, like, selling John McCain immortality or whatever, <laughs> like, yeah, that kind yeah. of crap. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that, too. Like, I thought that yeah. was kind of funny. Not, a... not only that, but, like, Pim's, like, doohickey is called iHeaven, like an iPod. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
as much as I like Eric, there was a point in this issue where, in my opinion, he went too far, and Hank definitely agreed because they were discussing Scott and you know how Hank views Eric. Because you know Hank's like I, you know, Hank is like Scott didn't steal the suit. I, I let him take it. And you know Eric's kind of miffed about that. He's like, well, if Scott was so great, like he wouldn't be dead. And then Hank punches yeah. him in the gut, and I was like, you deserve that, dude. Like you went too. Yeah. That was a low blow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that 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 was well, he, that was he, prime douchebag. He, he was he was reacting. I understand, but still, that was that was low. Yeah. Well, he he is the irredeemable Ant Man. I mean, yeah. he, he's trying to mack on schoolgirls, and he he yeah. shacks up with that one chick in the beginning, who's kind of kind of chubby, and then he he basically like shoes her out under the auspices of she's going to get killed by Dr. Doom or something, even though... All and he, like, and he even, even tells Fox, like, you know, he she wasn't, like, you know, the top tier he's used to getting being an Avenger right. now. Right, yeah. like, he, he, you know, he, he kind of says things that are, you know, in 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 most circles would, would be viewed as reprehensible. So there, there are those aspects of his character that are a little more... Uh, torrid than than your <laughs> traditional you know sort of you know by the book superhero. His his subconscious yeah. shell was just all naked women, basically. <laughs> yeah, right? Like yeah. yeah. Well, well, I mean to to Hank's credit though, especially like what you guys have been saying about him during this time period, um, you know, Hank didn't go all batshit crazy. He was like, you you get a sock in the gut because you're an asshole. And, you know, Eric was even like, you know, oh, we're going to do this. He's like, no, we're not. He's like, no, you, you deserved one good shot because you pissed me off, but I'm not going to sink to your level. You know, he, he deserved a punch and just then one was good enough. So I give props to Hank for keeping his anger in check because he, I mean, he's the original Ant-Man. He could have beat the shit out of Eric, you know? Yeah, like he like I, like I said, I think this series gives like Hank Hank Pym his proper like respect, like you know his proper uh, level of uh, expertise and you know keeping it together under pressure. And that, well, I, I like that moment before he does punch him in the gut, where they're you know sort of complaining to one another, and Eric O'Grady's kind of like, oh, you're just gonna showboat some more, like you're showboating now, and you know he's like, I'm pulling out you know a tool we can use to break in from you know, the hyper dimension or whatever. And, and he's like, Oh, just more show budding. And he's like, no, it's called using my experience and expertise to handle a situation. Doofus. Like, I'm, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like he's like, I'm a freaking professional, you know, like that's, I'm, 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 I'm solving the problem professionally. Like, and he just kind of, he, he didn't, he, you know, to, to me, like, I mean, he, he, he can punch him in the gut. He, that's fine. But I, I think he put him in his place verbally as well, you know, doing the same no, yeah, thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, what I wanted to ask, uh, um, who was that super villain, like, listening to the AIM cast? Was that the Grim the Reaper? Or... I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I was wondering that, too. It was like a skull guy. And I'm like, who's I thought who's maybe it was face? the Grim Reaper, but, like, it didn't, I don't know. It didn't look like any Grim Reaper design I've ever seen. I, the only thing I could have thought of was like Taskmaster, but neither Taskmaster or Grim Reaper, as far as I know, would really be after immortality because Grim Reaper is like undead, so he's pretty much immortal. And Taskmaster is like, he's never had that ambition before, so what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, is, is Grim Reaper still undead? He was last time I saw him. 
I don't know. It's like you could every. It's like every time Grim Reaper shows up, he gets killed now. So. Yeah, he Rogue snapped his neck, but he got better. So you know. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't know who the fuck that was, Mike. And also the color didn't match. He had like, like a yellow skull face, and he almost looked like he had like some kind of like almost Hydra symbol on his chest. I couldn't make it out. It was like red, and I don't know who the fuck that was. <laughs> Yeah, well, to peel know. behind the veil of my my Google research skills, what I usually do, and I didn't see anything on Comic Database, but I looked up the issue in Comic Database. I'm going to try Comic Vine real quick just for giggles to see if there's anything there just so we can see. Because sometimes they'll have, you know, a listing of who's in the issue, even if it's like a minor cameo and stuff like that, so I'll just look. Okay, this looks okay. like who it is. Okay. The character's name is Skeleton Chi. Whoever that is. Skeleton Chi. Skeleton. Possess- well, it's Ki, Chi, whatever. I don't know. K-I. Oh, Skeleton okay. K-I. Possessing oh. the power to unlock anything. Skeleton Ki. Yes, it's a pun. Is regarded as one of the world's greatest thieves. That's that's who it looks to be. It looks like it's an maybe an Iron Fist villain. Um, that's huh. weird. Let's see. I don't know. Am, maybe uh, maybe he's wrong, really old. Is, I don't know. It, it doesn't look quite like he did in the issue, but but I, I'm guessing this is the right guy. Um, I, I'd say that's I closer than, yeah, Reaper. See or, that, yeah. That, I mean, you know, this obviously Comic Vine is, you know, the the data is input by, you know, fans and, and folks. So, I mean, you know, it's like. That, oh, yeah, that, his, yeah. His, apparent, his appearances are listed as Ant-Man and the Wasp. So maybe it is him, yeah. Well, but that's what I'm saying. They, if somebody linked him to those comics, that's somebody deciding that that was skeleton key. But I, I, you know, I don't know. Like it, it could just be a new look for him where it doesn't quite look the same. But that's that's my guess that that that's the right character. Huh. Okay. I'll take and that's, it. Yeah. I'm like, I'll take and, it. and that's how you pod race people. <laughs> uh, and spinning's a good trick. It is. It very much is. Oh, uh, anything else to say about this issue? Um, uh, well, it is interesting that, like, uh, Hank's, you know, fucked up now, so. Sexy, evil, sleepwalker lady is still sexy and evil. <laughs> true, yes, true point is. is true. I'm, I'm just going to bring up the internet, you know, meme from 2014. Dead ass, though. <laughs> All right, so you want to move on to issue three? Sounds good. Okay, issue three. Monica Rapacini makes her pitch to the captive wasp about joining AIM, citing that as scientists they have similar mindsets and values. Pym manages to escape the energy bubble he was trapped in, but Monica snags him in a different energy snare, saying that she's got over a hundred ways to keep him there while she finishes her sales pitch. 
Within iHeaven, the digital consciousness of Bill Foster continues to strain and hold the realm together, as Eric O'Grady tries to think of a way to get his attention. Realizing he can change his own digital avatar, and after a quick detour becoming Ms. Marvel, Eric changes into Hank Pym and flies up to Foster, telling him that they have to get to safety before iHeaven collapses. Bill follows his lead, but thinking he's talking to Pym, tells Eric that heaven isn't heaven without the people you care about to share it with, and he wants Hank to stop pushing the people in his life away. Meanwhile, Monica is rapidly exhausting her options, trying to keep the Wasp in di different death traps. She can't understand why, why Hank defends humanity while he seems so disconnected from it. She also wonders if Hank built an artificial heaven because he was scared he's already damned himself to hell. In the service shaft where Eric O'Grady's unconscious form lies, Anesthesia gently wakes him up and confides in him that she thinks AIM is using her and they'll never fix her father. Eric not so gently informs her that that is likely the case. She wants to take her father and leave AIM, but doesn't want Monica harmed, so she tells Eric that she will remove the toxin in his blood if he promises to abandon Hank Pym and leave this place immediately. Eric easily agrees, saying he's no stranger to selling people out. Anesthesia uses her sleepwalker abilities and removes the infection from Eric's body, much to his delight. He hugs her and tells her that he feels really bad about what he's going to do next, which is to zap her into unconsciousness with his bio-sting. Anesthesia collapses, and Eric says that even though it is his nature to look out for himself, he knows that being an Avenger is a good deal and heads off to rescue the Wasp. Speaking of, Hank is still confounding Monica's death traps and tells her that all this on-the-fly problem-solving is actually helping him think better. He's made the connection that the chronal aberration that he and Reed Richards were fixing earlier is tied in with how AIM kept this base a secret, and by restoring the temporary connection to the encroaching timeline, he managed to decloak their location and send for backup. Disappointed in her failure to sway Pym, Monica decides to kill him with a simple electric knife, but just in the nick of time, Ant-Man appears to knock Monica on her ass as Pym escapes from his prison. The two shrink down and escape the room through a ceiling shaft, and Hank reveals that he's worked out that they're actually in a giant AIM vessel hovering over Norway. A, a vessel that's about to become a very dangerous place after Pym has chronally destabilized it. He works on trying to prevent it from crashing on a populated town, but Monica Rapacini appears on deck and stabs him in the back with her electric knife. Ant-Man is attacked by a bunch of AIM battle droids and genetically altered beasts, but thankfully the Avengers arrive as backup. Ant-Man is even rescued by Stryker and Reptil, who are on site as a learning experience as the Avengers begin dismantling AIM's vessel. Eric spots Anesthesia trying to escape the ship with her comatose father and offers his help, but she doesn't trust him and blasts Ant-Man and his teammates away. Meanwhile, Monica hinders Hank's efforts to stop the AIM vessel from crashing by trying to kill him, but he headbutts her and knocks her back inside the ship. Having no other options, he consigns the ship to the alternate timeline AIM was tethering itself to, and Monica, Anesthesia, and all AIM personnel remaining in the ship go with it. They end up on Earth 9939, a timeline where Baron Strucker became the murderous cyborg Charnel and wiped out much of humanity. 
Monica explains the background of this timeline to Anesthesia as the survivors of the crash attempt to regroup. Unbeknownst to them, they are being observed by members of that timeline's Avengers, the Punisher, Daredevil, Spider-Woman, and the Rhino. Back in Earth-616, and sometime later, Hank Pym, having reassumed his Giant Man identity, welcomes Eric O'Grady to the Janet Van Dyne Center for Women. He's amazed that Eric is actually volunteering his time to help there. Eric's would-be girlfriend Abigail is also working there, and she runs into the room to confront Eric about leaving his number with one of the women they're supposed to be helping. As the two argue, Hank just rolls his eyes in a that O'Grady in his sleazy antics fashion and moves to leave, content that he's making a difference and trying to continue living a life without regrets. The end. That O'Grady in his sleazy yeah. antics, like <laughs> yeah, taking, taking, taking my sexy evil sleepwalker lady's wig off and making her look like Ilea. That O'Grady. <laughs> I, I, that made me laugh when he's like, oh, what do you know? She's bald. Like, now I don't feel so bad about this. Like, no, no, she's not not as hot as I thought she was. She's bald. You know what I was going to say about the I heaven thing? And I think it's it's more apparent in this. And I don't know. I, I'm not sure if this is going to fall on deaf ears or not. Because I think most, I don't know. how I, I don't think Justin's watching it anymore. But Tony and Mike, are you still watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at all? The framework. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about I Heaven, yeah. was that it was like the framework and shield, kind of. So, that's, I mean, just random aside, like, there's there's no real connection to it, per se. But no, I, I can it, see it, though, because, like... It, they, it occurred to me. Yeah, they, they put some people in there and give them their dream life, and, yeah, and, you know, if, if you, you know, fuck up, the, the system will fuck up, kind of like I Heaven, so... Yeah, know. yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking of when, when I was... Re- yeah, um, but hey, you know, the sleepwalker chick losing her hair, <clears throat> at least she looks more like a sleepwalker. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I did, I did dig that. that. I did dig that sequence where Reptile and, and um, why can't I think of his name? Striker. Striker. Yeah, when, Striker. when Reptile and Striker, like, save O'Grady, and then, and then he's like, what are you guys doing here? And he's, they're like, we're here to learn. And then there's that cool sort of splash panel of like it's like marvel boy and thor and like the avengers like wrecking shop on the the aim base and everything i thought that was a cool a cool moment know what i was gonna joke to you Derek? i was like i was glad that scene there were only like real avengers there like it wasn't like yeah, oh yeah, there's yeah. spider woman and wolverine like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they do all pass I, the the quote-unquote real avengers test with me on that panel yeah I, I, I was gonna like mention. I was like, I'm sure Derek liked the fact that uh, Marvel Boy slash Justice was among them. So yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was a sweet a sweet shot and everything. No, I was just gonna say I feel bad because uh, Reptile has uh, showed up once or twice in this uh, three issues, like the first issue and like the 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 last issue, and, and I, I feel so bad because every time I see him, all I hear is the Superhero Squad theme song. <laughs> he grew up. I I, yep. I I I was like I I mentioned this for the first issue, but I it, it does it does give me joy to see the Avengers Academy kids in this. You know that that was a nice surprise, and I, I was happy to see them in the first issue, and I was happy to see them you know follow up with the kids in the third issue as well. Like I, I dug it, but what what I was gonna say was that. 
I, I kind of wanted to talk about Hank Pym's list. And, like, I, I don't know if this is me getting into more serious or stuff again or whatever, like the, you know, the God versus science debate or whatever. But, like, I, I guess because I don't know how to explain it, but there, there's something about that list where, I'm like, he made a list for dead people, sort of. Like, except for himself, so I guess hopefully at the end of it, you know, the the list has to deal with himself, so I'm like, oh, okay, at least he's alive, or whatever, and he's he's working on bettering himself on that list, or whatever. But, like, I guess having dealt with death in my own way, I guess I kind of think of it as, like, you you should do good things for people while they're on the earth, so to speak, and, like, I, I kind of... I think I would have gotten a kick out of it if, like, the Academy kids were on his list and, like, Tigra was on his list and, like, I don't know, just, just like, you know, I don't know, whoever else, you know, the, the Hercules and Cho or, you know, like, like basically people that were in, in the now that he could do good things for, basically. Like, that, that, that people who were alive and that would, you know, basically, I don't know. You know, it's like, it just felt weird that it was like, oh, okay, the, uh, you know, the, the foundation is for his dead wife, and, and I Heaven is for his dead colleague and friend. You know, it's like, okay, you got any more dead people you want to help, or you want to help people that are actually alive that can, you know, appreciate what it is you're trying to do for them, you know, like type thing. And and and, and the notion that you should try to, you, you probably should have been trying to help your wife and your dead colleague friend when they weren't, you know, fucking dead, you know, like. When they were alive, so I don't know. It's just I, weird thoughts I I had when I was looking at that list. I, I bet if you flip the page, you'll get exactly that. Yeah, it was, yeah. Only, it was only the first page of a notepad. Well, I mean, on, honestly, the <clears throat> one thing that kind of got from it is with with Hank doing what he's doing now. All the people who are alive, he is helping. He he can actively help them. And I would say that list was like one of the things he says a couple times in this uh, three-parter is living life with no regrets. And he regrets what happened to his wife, and he regrets what happened to you know Goliath. And he's trying to not regret it. He's trying not to have their lives, you know, from his standpoint, like he's trying to honor them because he regrets some of the decisions he made while they were alive. Like he couldn't help them when they were alive, and he feels bad about that, and those are his regrets. So, in trying to live a life with no regrets, he's basically giving himself peace of mind. So he could be like, you know, this happened; it was terrible, but I'm doing something in their name, or I'm doing something for them in some way. So I, I don't feel as bad anymore. You know, there's still, there's always going to be that guilt. There's going to be like some twinge when he thinks about you know the wasp and all that but he might not regret it anymore he might not be like you know i did nothing he could be like i was late but i did something at some point to honor them so maybe maybe that's what it was it was like his list of regrets and by saying live life with no regrets he's trying to get rid of those regrets he probably also feels a bit responsible for both of their deaths like quote yeah quote like death in the wasp's case but yeah like because well like it was the scrawl him basically that like basically set in motion both of their deaths so yeah yeah it's yeah it's kind of weird to have that on your on your shoulders when it i guess 
technically wasn't you, you know? Yeah. Well, speaking yeah. speaking of responsibility, like I I really like like the like his solution to the problem, where it's like, okay, aim, you know, you want to fuck with these alternate timelines, and here you're going there, like, bye, like, no, no, like fuss or muss, like, no, like back talk or you know anyone saying like you can't do that, man, like it was like <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm, it's I'm like it. <laughs> it's like nobody nobody's <laughs> having the moral uh, dilemma over. Sending those guys to the the Death Head Two universe or whatever, yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting Avengers lineup: Punisher, Daredevil, Rhino, and Spider Woman. Those guys actually all appear like in that that Death's Head Two series, like in that alternate timeline they go to. Like, oh, so okay, that's, so that's that's all. Yeah, that's that's a really like real. Yeah, it's like in the first, I think, five or six issues of Death's Head Two. So, like, yeah, like that that was a good like callback. Oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, I I, I never read Death Says Two. My name's not Mars. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I, cool. I, yeah, I, I read I read Death Head Two. I like I like Liam Sharp, so I I I, I read at least the the issues he drew. I think I think once it got like past issue five, I think he stopped drawing it, and then I was like, I'm out of bitches. But you know, I I did read it. <laughs> Um, c- considering, uh, you know, uh, Eric's, uh, you know, biddly bit did it want like ending where, you know, the phone number and all that. Um, do you think this actually redeemed the irredeemable Ant-Man or was it like he, he, he did a good job, but he's, he's still Eric O'Grady. Cause sometimes comics will do that. They'll make like a totally like reprehensible character. Like, you know, I've seen the light now I'm a good guy is like. You know, I, I think they stay true to his character. You know, I think he's still going to be a little scummy sometimes. Well, I mean, he he, he still went he reneged on his deal with <laughs> yeah with anesthesia. Like, I mean, he's after after he said he was going to help her. So it's like I, I'm not surprised she flipped out and started shooting on him when he offered his hand and help because he had just like electroshocked her after agreeing to help her. So I mean, I get that she was putting him between a rock and a hard place, but. It, it, you know, again, he, he did not seem like he 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 was not avoiding the irredeemable nature of his character. You know, he 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 just, I guess, put those those uh, flaws to good use, I guess, is the best way to put it. Like, he, yeah. it's not like he's it's not like he's free of his flaws. It's not like he's going to turn a new leaf and like stop trying to hook up with chicks and give out his phone number. It's just he he happened to turn some of those to to Hank Pym's advantage and the Avengers advantage in this in, in, in this context. And and I think in, in some issues of the Secret Avengers after that, we'll, we'll continue to do that, you know, so or at least try to, you know, so. Well, no, I just wondering if like if if anybody thought in their eyes they were trying to make him, you know, like, you know, he's really a good guy if you look at him, that kind of thing, you know. Well, I, well, like, I, I that, that isn't that part of the whole Hank Pym rolling his eyes thing. Like, I mean, yeah, he, it's a it, it, Hank Pym's a little more accepting of him, but he knows that he's still kind of. A, uh, a louse, Douche. you know. At the yeah, same time, it's yeah. like it's like one of those things where it's like, well, he's my louse. You know, like that—that's what that eye roll is, almost, right? Like it's—it's it's like okay, he's a louse, but he's on my, my side, so it, it isn't all, all bad, you know. I got the same but, feeling. It was like he—he—he he, he did some heroic things as far as he was fighting the bad guys, 
but yeah, he didn't do them the the quote unquote right way all the time. Well, it makes it makes me sad. Like they didn't like like this setup didn't last like much longer. Like or at least like because Eric O'Grady eventually like dies in Secret of uh, Avengers and is replaced by an LMD, and that's like the Eric O'Grady that's running around today as like the Black Ant. And, like, he's kind of like a, I guess, any any sort of, like, you know, development he might have had or any kind of, like, trying to be a better person went out the window because now he's kind of basically a bad guy. But And then, yeah. you know, Hank, Hank Pym is currently running around as, like, half Ultron, half Hank Pym or whatever. So it's like I'm, I'm kind of sad that this setup didn't get more play. Yeah, I guess, um, I guess that's the price you pay for bringing back Scott Lang, I guess. Like, yeah, that, yeah. That, I, mean, that like seems... I like Scott yeah. Lang, but it's like they kind of like after like they brought him back and then there was that FF series we talked about where yeah. he, he kind of yeah. got to have his like time to shine. And then all of a sudden it was like, like we got to be like movie synergetic or whatever. So like all of a sudden Scott Lang's going to be a loser or whatever, you know, like a, just like Paul Rudd, Scott Lang's going to be Paul Rudd. So yeah, uh, he's going to be a near duel thief and yada, yada, yada. And then, and then for, you know, marketing or, or I guess to, to not dilute the marketing IP. It's like, Oh, we're just going to have, Scott Lang be Ant-Man and this other guy we're going to make him an LMD and make him Black Ant and you know poor Hank Pym gets the shaft again and becomes like you know Hank Ultron freaking merger or whatever too so yeah I mean, because Michael Douglas in the movies for some reason I was almost like wondering if like that when they brought Hank Pym back eventually it was like they were gonna like separate him from Ultron but it was gonna like age him like twenty years or something. Like, <laughs> I look like Michael Douglas now or something like. Uh, well, know, Justin, yeah, Just, Justin, what did you think of this conclusion? It was all right. Um, I felt really bad for Sleepwalker chick at the end. Like I feel like she kind of like got a raw deal. But the, the conclusion was all right. Like, I, you know, like you guys were saying, I was happy to see, like, really for reals Avengers show up instead of, like, lamers like Wolverine and Spider-Womans and Jewel, you know, or whoever crap. That made me happy. But I don't know. I just – I don't know. I just never liked this third issue for some reason. I don't know. I just kind of fell a little flat with me. I mean there's funny stuff in it. Like, you know, like Eric, like when he's in – Miss Marvel's body, he's like, ooh, and he's like filling her up and stuff. And you know, there's, <laughs> if only I had time for a shower. Yeah, yeah. There, there's funny moments in it, but there's just stuff in it. I'm just like, oh, I feel bad for Anastasia, and you know, I don't know. Well, uh, I mean, one, one, I, this 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 series did do that that really horrible thing that some series like this have done before, like miniseries or micro stories, where they introduce interesting characters. And you're like, oh, cool, like this could be like something ongoing or this could be like something, you know, interesting. And then like they you kill them off or get rid of them. You're just like, nah, forget all that shit. Never happened, really. <laughs> yeah, well, like I, I was going to say, like I'm I'm positive Monica Rapacini has shown up again since this series, but I don't think Anesthesia has. So like I guess they're all still stuck in Earth 9939. I don't know. She's a pretty constant presence with AIM, so. Yeah. Yeah, she seems to be like one of those c 
catch-all villains where she can. She's like she she's can like be, the Maria. She can be used. Yeah, the she's Maria, like the Maria, Maria Hill for aim. Yeah. 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 I, I was gonna say like uh, she she tricked uh, Motormouth and whatever her partner was from. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Because, <laughs> um, yeah, she had, like, some kind of time travel mouth. ability, right, or something. Yeah. <laughs> Motor mouth. What was it? Kill Power? Was that his name? Kill Power. That's what it was. Break, yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, geez. Motor Mouth and right. Kill Power. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Justin, did you ever read that, like, really short-lived, like, Illuminati series where, like, the Hood was leading that gang of criminals and, like, the Black Ant was one of them? I did, yeah. Uh, what did did they do anything with like Eric O'Grady's LMD in that like anything significant or like I didn't read that but I don't think so like it, it was mostly like Hood and um you know Absorbing Man and his girlfriend centric like he I know he was in the book but I don't remember him like being like a big part of it or key like he did some evil shitty shit because he was an evil M- LMD but. I mean, nothing that, like, st- stood out to me, yeah. Yeah, like, the only other thing I can think of that he was in after, like, Secret Avengers was that, and then, like, he was in Secret Empire, and he was, like, part of that, like, Secret Empire team of Avengers, and he was, like, palling around with the Taskmaster. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, yeah, but he I, was I just, think I, that's the last time he's shown up. Yeah, and, like, and I, he was kind of pretty much his old self, but, like, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, but you're still, like, an evil LMD or whatever, so... He did say he was best friends with Taskmaster in this series. <laughs> yeah, that's all the way from Avengers Initiative. Like, the two of them, like, uh, are buddying around. Like, I, I love that scene where, uh, I forgot, when one of those, like, MVP clones is attacking, like, the Initiative base. And Taskmaster and Ant-Man are just, like, sitting against a wall. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Know, it's like, hey, there's the red alert. You gonna go fight him? And he was like, nah. And then, like, Ant-Man's like, hey, I got a couple episodes of Chuck on my iPod. And he's like, you're good people, O'Grady. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's funny. They're just chilling while everybody else goes to fight him. <laughs> I like Tasky. <laughs> oh. But, oh, yeah, I don't know if I echo Justin's thoughts precisely i would say i was more let down because i would have i guess what you said mike um i expected this to go on more and i would i would read more of this ant-man and the wasp you know um the the dynamic between them two is is really good um and 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 sadly you know i think there's more stories they could have got out of this you know uh I think that that was kind of it was kind of a fresh concept, you know. It was like, oh, the wasp is a is is a male and is also you know the original Ant Man and the new Ant Man is is a dickhead, you know. Thursdays on Fox, I'd watch it. Shit, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was like a good like a good setup, but like I said, unfortunately, it couldn't last because as we know, like Janet was not really dead. And yeah. uh, Scott Lang came back, and then they got rid of like both of these guys for the most part, or at least like put them in the background. So, but yeah, it's like I said, I'd like a, a Hank Pym as the Wasp Marvel Legend, and that's pretty much you know what I'd like like out of the like from this era. That's like one of my strong impressions. Like I, I really liked this era, like in Hank. Like Hank Pym is like I probably in my top ten favorite Marvel characters, so I thought this was a good showing for him, and it was a good era in general for him. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, we talked about the whole Mighty Avengers thing, and this, and and of course the Avengers Academy thing, and this seems like a a side story or an extension of that era. So, and 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 since it's such a good showing, it's it, 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 I guess for me, like there there were bittersweet moments where you're kind of like, oh, like this this was back when like they didn't muck up the waters with him, and he he you know he was he was having a good show and everything. He was doing right by the Avengers kids, and he's doing right by Tigra, and you know. So I, I, I sort of had that moment where I was just kind of like, "Oh, that's too bad that this is." It's like one of those things, like the, the, the amber that preserves, you know, dinosaur fossils or some shit, where you're like, "Oh, this was, this was a, a, a great moment in time." It's like it, it's cool that there was. I was glad you had us read this because I was like, "Oh, cool!" Like there was, there was another bit of that era that i just had never read so i I was glad to have checked it out it it is funny like i I picked this because you know obviously this episode is tying into ant-man and wasp but the ant-man and wasp in this series are totally different from the ones that will be (laughs) in the movie so right Yeah, but I I was like we talked about Scott Lang a lot a lot in the last like movie uh, podcast we did about Ant Man. So I was like, let's do something with Eric O'Grady and Hank Pym. So yeah, and I mean I mean hey, the comic is called Ant Man and the Wasp. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I was I was like I knew Tim Seeley wrote this. Like I didn't know he drew it too. Like that 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 was that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's what's interesting if you go back and look at like a bunch of his credits it's like it, it, sometimes it can be hard to discern oh did did he I, I don't i think he's drawn more than he's written actually because if you go back like uh, he drew like some of those devil do uh devils do uh gi joe comics that i liked you know, that came out yeah. when it was like under under image and then it was under devil's do productions or whatever yeah. so I like, think but, I think he he yeah. wrote one of those like Transformers and GI Joe crossovers. Oh, crossovers. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Huh. And, and if anybody wants to send angry emails to uh, fanholspodcast at gmail dot com, he draws some pretty fucking hot women. Just just saying. I, yes, he I does. yeah, I like that. That well, I mean, even the Maria Hill of Aim, you know, is not bad or whatever. But I I really did. I I thought that sleepwalker lady was anesthesia i thought she i thought she was cool it's too bad that they haven't tried to or, bring her back or use her again. or as uh i think metal called her the green floating betty page yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and tiger looked good too oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 tiger did look nice in this like i was i wasn't like oh you you scare me tiger like no i, I wasn't scared by tiger in this <laughs> i like I like how Tigra was like, "Don't try any of your like peeping tom bullshit with me. Like I can smell you." Like she, she's like, "I just may mistake you for a mouse." You know, it's like gulp. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, yeah, the artwork was really good. But the fact that he did double duty is is even more impressive that it was a a solid story. So yeah, that's really cool. I, I well, I mean, uh, you know, I guess Grayson, Grayson, notwithstanding. I I think you could chalk him maybe being one of those rare exceptions because I know, you know, other than, you know, guys like John Byrne and Frank Miller and, and, and sort of industry greats, it's like sometimes you're hard-pressed to find a, uh, a writer-artist type that, you know, I, I think a lot of 
writer artists types they're they're either stronger in one arena or the other and that they're not usually strong in both but i i would say this was pretty strong in both arenas like i think the art was well done and 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 the writing was was pretty damn good so i'll, I'll go to bat for for tim saley on other stuff if, if it comes along so yeah, so we we just talked about Ant Man and the Wasp. We're gonna take a short break, and when we come back, we're gonna be discussing the one shot Avengers Origin, Ant Man and the Wasp. So stay tuned, guys. We finally developed our time machine. Should we use it to go back and see how Stonehenge was built, or become friends with Hitler and convince him to stay in art school, or we could go back in time and get the comic books we missed. Yeah. yeah. The Comic Book Time Machine, a journey back in time to explore comic books, good and bad, whether from seven decades ago or seven days ago. Join our journey at comicbooktimemachine.com. All right, guys, welcome back. We hope you enjoyed that fine commercial break. And now we are back, as promised, to discuss on the second half of the Ant-Man and Wasp-themed show, Avengers Origins. And I will let Mike take it from here. Uh, this was a series of one-shots released in uh, 2012, I think, or 2011. It was, um, I think it was Ant-Man and Wasp, uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, uh, Luke Cage, uh, Vision, and uh, one other person. I forgot who, though. I don't know. We'll look it up in a bit. But anyway, yeah, like, you know, it was basically retellings of their origins. And uh, this particular one, Ant-Man and Wasp, was uh, written by Roberto uh, Aguirre. I forgot, Sacasa? No, it's it's uh, like, it's Robert Aguirre Sacasa. Aguirre, I believe is yeah. how you pronounce it. He's the guy, he's the guy, me and Justin should should know him pretty well, because... He's the guy who wrote a lot of the Archie stuff, like the the uh, Afterlife with Archie, and then he's actually I think he's one of like the the like showrunners or something. Oh yeah, Riverdale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he he wrote like some good Spider-Man stories before, like One More Day, like so. But uh, and then uh, the art was by Stephanie Hans. And uh, basically, yeah, like I said, this is a retelling of, like, I think it's Tales to Astonish number 44, which is, like, the first appearance of Ant, or the first appearance of the Wasp, at least. And, uh, like, Ant-Man, I I believe, had some adventures without her first, and then, yeah, she shows up in this issue. But, uh, and it kind of retells, like, Ant-Man's origin, like, Hank Pym, you know, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you you may already be familiar with it. I mean, Hank Pym, famous scientist, uh, newly newlywed, married to his wife Maria. They go on a honeymoon in on hung, I think it's Hungary, and uh, like his wife is assassinated as she like her father and her were political like dissidents or something, and they escape to America, and like for whatever reason they go back there for their honeymoon, and that's why she you know dies, but. But, you know, Hank Pym has, like, a nervous breakdown, but then he goes back to the U.S. and, he, you know, he tries to get back to work. And he, he revolutionizes, like, his, you know, growing and shrinking technology. And he, he tries to sell it or patent it, but no one's, like, believing him. So he just kind of tells them all to go screw. 
And uh, he also comes into contact with uh, Professor Van Dyne and her, his daughter, Janet. She kind of reminds him of his wife, Maria. And, like, they start a sort of relationship, although he keeps her at arm's length because he's, you know, he's emotionally wounded. And, like, at the same time, he decides to become, like, a crime fighter. You know, the Ant-Man, using his growing and shrinking tech. Um, he develops his, like, Ant-Man helmet, which allows him to communicate with the ants. And, it, you know, he has some adventures on his own. And uh, eventually, uh, Janet's father is m murdered when uh, some uh, outer space like creature or I, yeah i think it's like an outer i forgot if it was another dimension or outer space but like from the world of cosmos some creature like comes through and makes contact with like professor van dyne and kills him so janet comes to hank and asks for his help in avenging him and uh you know hank lets her like in on the secret that he's ant-man and then has uh takes her on as a partner as the wasp and like you know genetically alters her to be able to grow wings and shrink and you know fly and whatnot and the two of them defeat the creature from cosmos and then from that point on they're a crime fighting duo and they're you know hank is slowly letting his guard down around her and you know that's pretty much where they start off when avengers begins so yeah so that's you know this is this was a sort of it basically is the same story although there are like you know some embellishments and some modernizations of things and like stuff like that but like like I I really liked this like just cuz you know obviously I like Hank Pym I like Janet Van Dyne I you know and they it's kind of you know their their stories are a little bit you know the Stanley and whoever else was you know helping stanley do these stories they're kind of dated for the time but you know they have a sort of charm to them and uh like i i feel like this is before you know any kind of like i guess you could say like taint was thrown on their relationship with you know like wife smacks and you know anything like killer robots or anything so it's sort of sort of even though like you know hank's first wife is murdered it's a little more innocent like i guess but uh, I was gonna not not to spoil the no tanks comment, but like I I always kind of thought of early Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne as like very much you know how people always like find like qualms with like reading Sue's ages depending on when you're reading the comics where you're like isn't it weird that like you know like 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 when when Reed comes over and it's like I'm a college dude and and Sue's like 6 years old and like you're dreamy or whatever you know and people are like ew or whatever and like I always kind of felt that way about those Hank Pym and and Janet Van Dyne things cuz it seemed like th me just from my perspective I mean I could be way off on this but it always seemed like to me like Maria was kind of you know, in his if if he's in his you know, early thirties or whatever, like like Maria was in his age bracket, but like it seemed like Janet was like, I'm seventeen, eighteen, like you're a really cool older dude, Hank. And it's like it's like she seemed kinda like this kind of young flighty girl, you know, like that Pim was like one of her flights of fancy or like that. That that was always kind of the vibe I got. I think th this kind of stuff it kind of reminds me of like, I don't know. It's got like a you know a Marvels like slash Astro City vibe. Like you know, kind of like what you said. It's it doesn't deviate too much from like Tales to Astonish. It's like there's a couple panels where it's kind of like 
that first appearance of Hank Pym where he's not even Ant-Man, where he's just like a scientist and he shrinks and the ants help get him to full size. Like there's there's a couple pages that deal with that. And then, like you said, most of it focuses on, you know, of course, like the title, the relationship between Ant-Man and the Wasp. I, I really like the way that Stephanie Hans like drew or, you know, the art that was done for janet like i, I kind of like the way she looked yeah. and like she uh, like i don't know i just i i enjoyed her look in in this book um she, she looked a little smoky and seductive yeah. yeah yeah i mean you know she she looked nice and and like i enjoyed that i guess for some reason like when when you're talking about the, the cosmos monster and the image of him on either i don't know i guess it's supposed to be like either the, the Brooklyn or George Washington Bridge yeah. or something like that. Like I, I was thinking to myself of like, oh look, it's the fucking Cloverfield monster. And Hank Pym kicked <laughs> its ass or whatever, you know. But that 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 was something that occurred to me while I was you know looking this over and everything. But I, I kind of like the vibe of this. Like, kinda, you know how like Marvels kind of has that. I, I don't know how to describe it. Like the, the, it, the this art, really reminded the, me of Marvels too. Yeah, the ring like it it, it kind of has the that lather of of kind of like somebody put like a, a a a black tint lens over everything like if that makes any sense like everything seems just a little sort of muted i guess because it's like supposed to be this hazy look into the past i don't know I, th- th- this is kind of the vibe i got from the art direction yeah yeah like i, I like i agree with you like i kind of like one of the changes i think i was gonna mention was like what you were saying about their ages like i kind of felt like like Hank Pym was like aged down a little. Yeah. And Jan was yeah, like yeah, aged yeah. up yeah. a little. Like, I, I like she was, she was in college and he was maybe like just out of college. Yeah, yeah. I guess like, I guess I should have, have mentioned like that. That is not the case in this one shot. I know I sort of went into detail about how I thought well, it came off in in Tales to Astonish, but it it does like, not. I I, I here. Yeah. In in prep for this, like I reread that issue of tales for astonish and like hank like flat out says in that like like i mustn't like fall in love with her like i'm more than i'm like twice her age and like she's but a child or whatever yeah like, right so, yeah yeah because yeah. you, you yeah. get the vibe she's like she's like 17 18 and then he's like you know 38 or something and you're like oh okay you know and, and and it seems like the whole time in those early issues he's fighting and then eventually he's just like oh all, all right you know, like, yeah. okay. Well, it's like, it's like, he's just like Reed Richards in those early issues where he's like smoking a pipe and stuff. And he's like, oh, Jan, like, and it, it's funny because like in this issue, when Jan calls him in hysterics and like tells him her father has been murdered, like he's like right there for her and whatever. And he's like, you know, calm down, Jan. Like, it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll come and help you. But like in the tales for Astonish, it's like when he, she, he, he like phones her, he's like, what? Your father's been murdered by a monster? Oh, come now foolish girl like like and he hangs up on her or whatever <laughs> he's like just a, just a hysterical woman or whatever there's no there's Can't no monsters yeah right. um i i i personally love the artwork in this it was it was like derek i just got a marvel's vibe off of it um i'm not gonna hopefully sound like an asshole it's not quite as detailed as alex ross but still is really fucking good um, one of my favorite things is when, uh, I don't know if this was actually painted or if it was digital, maybe both, I don't care, but, uh, I, I love it when they use the old costumes and they make them look like somebody actually wearing them, 
you know, it's like a real person wearing them, not like, you know, like even when uh, Pim is looking at himself in the mirror, he's like, you know, he's he's saying it shows off his physique. And I'm like, not really, because <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, a red suit with blue shorts and, and you know, a little emblem on the chest and some gloves. <laughs> he's like, man, I'm, I'm ripped. Yeah. Like, it, it was ab day for me. Like, <laughs> yeah, let me yeah, he just he's a dude with a big silver helmet. Um, no, I, I actually have read the Tales to Astonish. I don't know if it was because when we did maybe the Scott Lang stuff for the first movie, or maybe I just read it on my own. But yeah, it echoes a lot. It, it, it is very much, I wouldn't say a retelling, but spiced up enough that it's a little different, but it's very true to the original story, even like down to, like you said, some of the things that happened. No, what I was gonna say, like one one change they did make that makes this like sort of incompatible with Marvel's like ironclad, as we all know, continuity or whatever. But uh, right. like in this, like his wife is like drive by shot, like right in front of him. But like in the actual tales for Astonish, she's like kidnapped, and then like they, they like he receives a call where they like, oh, we found your wife's body or whatever, and then like. And then, like, his wife actually shows up later, like, in West Coast Avengers, where I forgot she was, like, hooked up to some machine, and she was, like, all deformed and stuff, and, like, he had to, like, put her out of her misery or something. <laughs> like, I don't know, it was super depressing, but, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. so, like... This one was like, no, what, this is the set, pow, pow! <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, it was, like, straight out of Compton, like, we're in the vibe. I mean, like, we're making... <laughs> We're making fun of it. It's an awful thing. A woman, like a fictional woman, got murdered. But like, yeah, I, I mean, that's that's what it's like in this comic. <laughs> right. Um. Well, uh, another thing that I also enjoyed. Um. Uh. Two good picks this week, by the way, Mike. Because again, this doesn't show Hank Pym in a bad light. You know, he he's an obsessed scientist. He wants to, you know, he's misunderstood with his pitch to the to the you know, uh, university board. You know, oh, you're going to make weapons? And it's like, no, it's not what I want to make at all. And uh, he wants to, you know, use his, his brilliance for other things. And he goes down this rabbit hole, and he's not pushing Jan away because he's an asshole. He's like, this makes no sense for her to be involved with me because, you know, like, I can't commit my time to her. And they have a nice scene where Jan's like, I know you're Ant-Man. He's like, how do you know? He's like, you're studying ants. I watch TV. <laughs> I like that first. I like that first dinner he has with like her father and her, where she's like, "So, is there a Mrs. Pym like in your life?" And he's just kind of like, "I'm studying ants now." Like he doesn't know how to respond. <laughs> right? Yeah, he's awkward, but he's not like an asshole. He just he 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 doesn't know how to interact. You know, he, like you said, he's very withdrawn because his wife did get killed. And, you know, again, you know, like I, I, I'm like you guys, I'm like you and Derek and I'm, I'm sure Justin, too. I know Justin's not like a massive Hank Pym fan, but I know he likes him a lot. It's I, I, I always like stories where Hank Pym comes off as as a fucking decent guy. And, and this was definitely one of those. And also Cosmos was silly. <laughs> Cosmos with a K. That's how you know it's like a super serious place. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was like a, uh, it was totally a, a Kirby monster done with like painted you know realistic style. <laughs> it 
It was like it's a mindless monster in this issue, but like in the actual tales for Astonish, like the thing talks. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I am from Cosmos, and I like you know enslaved all the peoples on Cosmos, but now I escaped, and now I will enslave Earth. Bah ha ha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, one thing that I thought was kind of weird, I guess it's just the format of the origins. Like, why did they really bother to do the whole chapter thing? Because the chapters were really short. They had nine chapters, and it was, like, not a long book, and I'm like... Yeah. Yeah, it was like... That, was, that didn't seem to work, yeah, so well, but... Yeah. I don't know. I, I like, it's, like, these were... I remember I bought this off the rack, and, like, it, it was... It was like it's longer than a normal comic, but it was it was like you know a floppy. Like it wasn't like it wasn't one of those like it, it almost seems like they were. I forgot if I think this might have been before the DC like Year One or Earth One hardcovers, but like it's kind of almost. I forgot if it was before or after these, but it's kind of almost like they were trying to emulate that or go for that kind of style. I mean, except a, like they some kind of prestige lot, format, yeah. Yeah, except they were a lot closer to the actual stories. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you what do you think about Justin? Uh, were you were you into the the harrowing tales of Ant Man and Wasp's origin? I guess. I mean, it does a pretty good job of compressing several stories from the old Tales to Astonish, which I I like those stories so. I don't know. I, I guess I'm more attached to them than most people because I, I don't know. I, I just have an affinity for like classic Marvel Silver Age comics, and you know they're goofy. I get that. I think that's kind of the appeal for me. Like I kind of like the goofiness and some of the personality quirks that we all kind of like would make fun of. You know, like Mike was pointing out, like silly girl and blah blah blah, and hang up the phone or whatever. You're just like, <laughs> what? Like you're dude like you're a crazy person like no one's gonna react like that like what's wrong with you but um i was reading these at the time like i read this one and then i read the <laughs> scarlet witch and quicksilver one and you know because it was avengers stuff you know i i love avengers but but yeah i thought this was pretty good i really like the artwork i don't know how well i like this interpretation of jan and you know it's funny like Tony mentioned, like, you know, well, I don't think Justin's a massive Hank Pym fan. I mean, I like Hank Pym, but I think maybe I like Jan more. I guess what it is is for most of the book, she's not really Wasp. You know, she's Jan, and she's trying to, you know, like, date this guy who obviously has some issues. And she's kind of like, you know, she's trying to figure out, like, you know, like, what's this dude's problem like? I'm... You know, I'm whining and dining him, and I'm not getting anywhere. But uh, I don't know. I just her characterization felt kind of off in this, and I don't know if it's because of its if it's the retelling of this and putting it through like a modern lens, or if it's just the fact that she's not yet the heroic wasp for most of this. Um, but either way, like I did, I did enjoy in this, and I did enjoy the you know updating of their their origins and and the updating of several like. You know, in my opinion, like classic stories from Tales to Astonish. Yeah, uh, yeah I, 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 oh, good. I was just gonna say, I looked it up, and Thor was the fifth uh, one shot. Uh, okay, the one I forgot. No, I was gonna say, like before we started the podcast, I was joking because I was like, you know, I, it was an off the cuff remark. I was like, yeah, Jan's really horny in this, and 
it, it does kind of come off that way. It, it, I mean, I know in the original Tales to Astonish, it was also kind of true, too, that Jan was more after Hank than Hank was after her. But to this one, man, she is, like, relentless. Like, every time she sees him, dinner, 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 want to go out? Let's go out. I want to I wanna be with you. And in the first part of the book, it is a little overbearing, but it does smooth out at a certain point. And and I, I give the book credit on that. But, like, a, a first of the few interactions did seem like, like you said, Justin, it was, like, just Janet trying to hook up with this guy and him, like, you know, not having it. And it wasn't off-putting. I mean, like I said, like, the, when you read the whole book, it, it does flesh out more. And her, her character does, you know, get, like, a, a good showing, definitely. But yeah, for for a few for, for a few panels, I was definitely like, "Damn, girl, you thirsty." <laughs> you, you know, now that I think about it, like Jan, in those early like Stanley issues of Avengers, like she's kind of like, I don't know what the word is, like she's kind of all over the place because she's clearly she's clearly into Hank, but she's also like flirting with Thor like almost every other issue because she's like oh Thor he's so dreamy yeah, blah that, blah that's, blah that's what I was about to say I was about to say kind of all over the place <laughs> like, like, she's, like, she's like one of those chicks where you're just like oh like because it, it's funny how like she she, it, it, she does I mean she's not disingenuous about being into Hank and, and wanting to wine and dine him and everything but, but it does seem like this I, I think to me that always came to the point of they, they set up that in the tales astonished where Hank Pym was much older than her. And like, you just got the idea that was a person in their youth. Like she, she had ideas, she had notions, she had interests, but she, she was one of those people where it's like, I'm going to play the tuba. And then it's like, okay, I've tried that for three weeks I'm going to jump rope. Now I'm going to like try to enter the Olympics. Now I'm going to try to, and it's not that they weren't like super duper passionate about those things for like the three weeks that they were into them. But like, it seemed like, like, you know, there, there's that type of personality where they, they just, they, I, I they jump. I want to hook up with Hank Pym. Okay. I hooked up with Hank Pym. Ooh, Thor. <laughs> yeah. That, like that's kind of the vibe you got from like early, early wasp, I think. And I, and I, I see what Justin's saying, too, because that character develops over the years to the point where she's, you know, a chairman of the Avengers. Like, she's, yeah. she is a heroic figure. And 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 you're like, oh, you know, and, and, and like, I think I noticed that, too, because you're dealing with like the early, early portions of the Wasp's character. And there's the, like one line she has where she's like, well, this outfit isn't exactly what I would have designed, you know? And it's like, and then, and then of course I flash to like the 500 freaking costumes she's had since then, you know? And it's like, you know, so you're like sitting there going, Oh, well, you know, she's obviously got her own thoughts and ideas and everything, but it, it, it is that kind of situation where you feel like she's, she's still young. So she doesn't quite, you know, she doesn't quite know what she wants to do per se. Like, so there, there, there are, she does kind of zig and zag, you know, throughout the course of her early career, I think just, just based on youthful exuberance. And it's not like a damning thing or anything. It's just, you know, she's, she's, young. 
she's young. She she wants to try things. She's figuring shit out. I mean, there's nothing you know. There's nothing wrong about that. But it's like I, I think depending on when you came to the character, you know, maybe by the time you're reading her, like say I don't know, Secret Wars, it's like she kind of had a lot of more things figured out. Like she had a company. She was designing, you know, fashion clothes and 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 you know, kind of was a leader of the Avengers. <laughs> And Hank Pym was pissed when she could pick out an outfit. <laughs> right. And 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 like, oh, she kinda she kinda had her shit together basically. Whereas I think in the in the early issues, like not not to put a fine point on it, but it, it it's not exactly invalid when when you know, the Hank Pym with his smoking pipe would be like, Oh, you flighty little girl you know, like like you know, that kind of thing where you're like, well, she she kind of is like like that. that That's kind of who she was back then. You know, and it's like some in some ways that probably had a certain sense of of attraction to it. And another sense probably would drive any sane man up the wall, you know? Yeah, it's like she like, you know, not to defend Hank, but like I see what you're saying. Like in Hank's mind, you know, she could have came into the room and. Her dad puked on himself, and there's like this green blob of shit on his stomach. It's like, oh my god, he's being eaten by an alien monster. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, like in that tales for to astonish, he's like the only the only reason he gets he like believes her is because like he hears a radio report like later where it's like like Professor Van Dyne has been murdered. And he's like, good lord, like that girl wasn't hysterical. <laughs> like, <laughs> that that male news reporter must be right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, if a man says it, it must be true. It's like, I'll do that as soon as I beat up those Martians that Orson Welles was talking about. I'll be right back. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know. But, I mean, like Justin said, that was a different time. Um, You know, uh, sorry, America, but, like, women had different roles back then, even though they were fighting for equality and stuff. That, that for the fact for her being a superhero was pretty big in and of itself, and the fact that she actually had the uh, the uh, courage to do that, you know, like yeah, you know, don't shit on it. But the writers back then grew up in a different time too, so there were certain ways that they had interacted with women that would be true to that. You know, that's like kind of the thing. You know, I mean, that's just how how life goes when you live in certain time periods so you know like you can look back on it with nostalgia or you know enjoyment like justin does and i like the first tales to astonish issue i haven't read many of them but i read the first one i read ant-man's origin and it is it is kind of chintzy and little little cheeky and and silly but it is really enjoyable and i think the best way to look at it is if it wasn't a solid story they wouldn't have bothered to adapt it for for this series, for this like you know origins issue, and like uh, another of those like I guess modernizations or changes they made to the story was like it, it's like in in tales for two I was gonna say tales for astonish tales to astonish it's kind of like like he meets Jan and Professor Van Dyne and then like it cuts right to like Professor Van Dyne's been murdered and like, <laughs> you know Jan you know whatever but like here at least like it's it's like he's been seeing Jan for like a few months at least like <laughs> he like knows who her dad first is meeting. yeah and like like because like, when they like go off and they they attack the creature from cosmos it's like in tales to astonish jan is like oh ant man like i i think i'm falling in love with you and like i like you know hank pym's like i've talked to you twice like no, yeah but 
like here at least they they seem to know each other and like it, it's kind of like more of a like you know she she says i love you to hank like in the like when she's like in the heat of the moment or whatever so what, what i got from this is you know like 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 derek said that immediate passion i think jan was literally had a case of love at first sight she saw this guy um, you know, he was kind of ranting and raving about his presentation and everything. And she saw a passion in him and she's like, Oh, I, I have that same thing for my, my, my fashion. You know, I like this guy, you know, he's got some fire and stuff, you know, he's, he's, he's got like heart and, you know, especially when you're, you know, the age that they're both shown to be in this, this comic. Um, one of the, one of the things that will definitely, strike your fancy as someone who is passionate about something. So she may not understand him, you know, as far as the science stuff, but she's like, you know, you know, like, like I said, you know, it's like, you can't really quantify the variables, but something about Hank Pym just made her go, you know, for lack of a better explanation, damn, I want that guy. You know, it's a good thing. She didn't kill any of those ants at that picnic they had. It's like, no, you murdered my friends. Get out. I never want to see you again. Dusty, no. (laughs) But, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, this, this was, uh, I'm, I'm I'm like with Justin, you know, I read the original and this definitely like harkened back to that. And I know Derek's read, I know you've read it too, Mike, but like, you know, it definitely seemed like familiar ground, but there was, there was definitely enough there that like, I didn't feel like I was reading the exact same thing. Yeah, so that's the you know that's pretty much why I I, uh, I picked this issue and you know what by the time this episode comes out you know the movie Ant Man and Wasp should be near or in theaters and you know um, the original Ant Man and Wasp will be in it like you know they they've cast uh, Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne like in that movie and then you've got Michael Douglas so like I thought this was a, a nice choice to celebrate that so do you think Michelle Pfeiffer's going to dye her hair brown? Uh, maybe I don't know. It'd be nice, you know. Just, you know. Well, it she... looked like from the trade. It looked like we're. I guess we're speculating now because this is before the movies come out. But it looked like in the trailer they were going to like travel into the microverse. So like they'll probably yeah. find her in there and rescue her or whatever. Oh, okay, that'd be cool. You know that 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 I'm looking forward to the movie. Uh, we have seen the trailer at this point, and the first Ant-Man movie didn't think anything was going to be like a lot of people were saying it's going to be the first Marvel flop actually. And it turned out a good profit and people really liked it. The people who went to see it, you know, really liked it. And it's crazy that like that movie has spurred interest in the Ant-Man who is a classic character. Hank Pym is a great character despite all his flaws and all his like rough patches in uh, the history that he's been around. Janet Van Dyne, you know, the wasp is also like, you know, as Derek and Justin were saying, been the chairman of the Avengers. She's a tough woman. She's, she's a smart woman. She's capable. And it is really nice that like, you know, even if it took a movie to do this, it's, it's really cool to see these characters get like, you know, some limelight for a change. I know it's not a game, Hank. But I can do more than make money and take meetings. Together, we can do more. And we can have fun doing it. All right. Well, we we hope you guys have enjoyed listening 
us delve into the miniseries Ant-Man and Wasp and the one-shot Avengers Origin Ant-Man and the Wasp. And if you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Comics, motherfucker, do you read them? We have plenty of backlog of episodes over on the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. Over there, if you've enjoyed listening to this show, we hope you consider checking out all of our other spinoff shows. We've got Mobile Suit Mondays, Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, Sentai Saturdays, the Fanholes Podcast proper, Big in Japan, where we talk about anime, and Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast. So if you've enjoyed this show, we hope you enjoy uh, checking out all the other shows. We're on all kinds of social media, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We can be streamed on Stitcher. We're on iTunes, so please go ahead and leave a review there. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, it's Mike, and when I report a giant monster has killed someone, people believe me. Hey, this is Justin. (laughs) Hey, this is Tony, and hysterical woman slams phone. Oh, come now. Let me tell you the story of a tiny man. Fighting crime the best he can. Good old Hank Pym was a scientist. Doing research and checking stuff off his list. He cooked up a powerful new gas. And when the smoke and noise had passed, he woke up shrunken on the floor. He knew he was now something more. He was the Ant-Man. He's the incredible Ant-Man. my smoking jacket (laughs) it's funny like all those early issues it's like they always end with like you know jan being like when are you gonna get me a ring like hank and it's like whoa 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 like back up little lady (laughs) i'll get you a ring when you stop being hysterical (laughs) i remember there's one where like there's this like jazz musician who's like hypnotizing people with his like clarinet or something and then it's like i know jan takes hank to like a jazz concert or or like a just a jazz performance or something and he's like you kids and your jazz music (laughs) (laughs) that elvis presley he's gonna ruin america (laughs) with his his rock and or roll (laughs) it's the devil's music i tell you (laughs) 